I shared Christie's life for a while with a remarkable young actor called Hugh O'Connor. But for everyone involved in the film, all our desire to make the film, all the strength that we needed, all the pleasure that we took in making the film, came from Christy Brown. When he was alive, he needed very little encouragement to make his voice heard. Um, now he needs a little more. And I'm truly grateful to you that in honoring me with this award, you're encouraging Christy to carry on making his mark. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Welcome to Ruined Childhoods. Um, you know, uh, if you are a repeat listener, we welcome you back. If uh, you're joining us for the first time because you were like, hey, there's actually a podcast talking about my favorite movie of all time, My Left Foot, my favorite biopic about um, an Irish artist with uh, cerebral, pal- cerebral palsy. I apologize for mumbling. Uh, you know, my favorite Academy Award winner, my favorite Daniel Day-Lewis uh, Academy Award winner. We're glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, my name is Dan, and over there on the other side is John. John, how are hey, things there Dan. on the other side? I'm good, and I I have to just jump in right away and let you know there are other podcasts that talk about my left foot, and I want to start this episode addressing the fact that Dan and I are not adequately able to to speak to the representation of uh those who have uh, ex- uh who have a cerebral palsy or who want to hear uh an interpretation about the portrayal of somebody with cerebral palsy in my left foot for that i highly recommend a podcast uh actually specifically a february 11th 2021 episode of a podcast ca- called cripple threat uh, that uh, that talks a lot about uh, my left foot, and it is with some uh, incredible hosts who themselves uh, have have disabilities and speak to uh, a lot of movies that involve such things, uh, and they can speak to it on authority, whereas we cannot. So right. no. uh, I'm going to link to that episode in this episode's description so that people can listen to that if they want to hear about that. But we are here to talk about the movie as a whole. And to uh, BS a little bit about what we would do to bring it back as a uh, a sequel, a prequel. Although it's it's it, I, you know, and and Dan, I I don't know. This is this our first biopic. Um, it, it may it, be our first like true biopic. Let me. Uh, I know that we've done movies where it's like you know inspired by somebody or like based on the events of something that's happened maybe more of a situational thing but really about a specific person i don't think that we've done such a thing before uh so i will scroll the archives while you go ahead and scroll the archives yeah i'll go ahead and synopsize because this is one that um you know truly chronicles the life of uh, a particular person and this movie goes up until a certain point but I feel like uh, my left foot captures the, uh, I guess the the essential moments of the life of uh, of this of this particular person. So here we go. Irish artist and author Christy Brown never had it easy. His large family was poor. His father was an alcoholic, and to top it all off, he had cerebral palsy. He spent his youth struggling to express himself, but when he proved that he could write using his left foot, it displayed his tenacity and intelligence. Over the years, Christie honed his skills and became a fixture in his community, especially with the help of his brothers. But after a kind doctor named Eileen took notice of his abilities, she worked hard with Christie to have the tools to be able to speak. Over time, he fell deeply in love with Eileen, an emotion that, when challenged, Christie had a hard time processing. 
and his alcoholism did no did him no favors. As his art career began to take off, so did his writing, resulting in the completion of his memoir, My Left Foot. Christie's story culminates at an event at which Christie is to be honored, where he becomes enamored with his temporary caretaker, Mary. But this time, his feelings may have a chance at being reciprocated. So that that kind of sums it up. I, you know, Christy Brown yeah. was a very talented artist, and I, I don't even want to say disabled artist. Christy no, was a very talented, really artist. talented artist. Yeah, yeah like Period. full stop artist. Yeah. Um, end and of story. End of story. The yeah, that's it. And uh, to understand the the triumphs of this character you know getting through all of these hardships is really something to be celebrated and to you know make a biopic out of i mean and- the fact that he i mean that he lives like i'm sure and really i think this is my my you know kind of major takeaway from the movie outside the you know i mean presumably great just because i have not um read or heard of any controversy surrounding the performances um you know the performances all around but particularly daniel day lewis and brenda fricker um Mm -hmm. as christy brown and his mother uh respectively it it i mean i remember seeing this movie i think the first time that i saw it was it was definitely like at home as a like it would have been i don't know if i rented it Mm -hmm. um but i'm i think it was like taped off of hbo so whenever it would have been on hbo so i'm guessing where did you rent it from where it was taped off of hbo no i didn't rent it i said i I don't Uh, oh you didn't rent it okay (laughs) you were just Uh, eager to get it however you could no, I was like, get me. I got a pirated VHS. Yeah. I like knew someone who uh, who could Video get the old Academy. It, yeah. That was how I saw Dances with Wolves. Really, was a from uh, a courtesy, I believe, of our our cousin Jan. Uh, you know, okay, aka Aunt Janice. Okay, uh, so so. Anyway, really? she had a bootleg copy of Dances <laughs> with Wolves, and that's no. How you... I think it was a screener. It, it was a. I remember it was like two tapes, uh, and I remember we had it at the house like for a long time. But really? uh, yeah, anyway, um, I'm pretty sure that my first time seeing my left foot, it was not a rental. Um, though I was, I as I was with pretty much anything that was nominated for the Academy Awards, I was interested in seeing it and. I remember, and it's a very, the way that the the film is constructed, it is very, you know, especially if if you're a, you know, cinephile, um, you know, 12 year old as as I was, or 13, maybe by the time that I saw it, it was a, uh, it was just impressive. You knew, I mean, I didn't know who Daniel Day Lewis. Well, I didn't. It's not uh-huh. like I. I had not seen a room with a view, and I. I believe he had like I think prior to that maybe a small part in like a, a Bond film or something. Uh, if I remember correctly. Anyway, l- yeah. long story short, it was the first thing I ever saw him in, and when he won the Oscar that that year for Best Actor, I, I was like, well, yeah. Um, and I was a kid. I didn't really, I didn't know much. Uh, it was also nominated for best picture that year, which it arguably deserved to win over, uh, driving Miss Daisy. Right. Right. You know, that's, that's kind of the, you know, the, the hindsight, um, of, of it all. But it um okay. it won Best Actor for Daniel Day Lewis, Best Supporting Actress by Brenda Fricker, um, nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Director for Jim Sheridan. It was his first movie that he ever yeah. directed. Yeah, and uh I I felt really, you know, well done. Uh um, yeah. you know, 
Jim Sheridan, uh, you know, also for In the Name of the Father. Um, Get and, rich or die trying. Yeah, no. I, you know. Uh, I, can I, okay, I want to throw out one more Jim Sheridan movie, though, because sure. it's such a, I remember I saw it in the theater kind of on a, it was one of those like, oh, this is, this is what's playing right now. I have this amount of time to kill. And it was in America uh-huh. with uh, a Patty, Patty Considine uh, was in it. And I want to get the actress's name right. I want to make sure I'm not, um, I, I don't botch it. Uh, Jaiman Hunsu oh, cool. is, um, is in it. And I remember it was about an Irish family moving, uh, living to New York, uh, moving to New York, I believe. I think it was um, uh, semi-autobiographical. Okay. Just plain autobiographical. Um, and uh, let me see. Where is it? Yeah, it's semi-autobiographical. Samantha Morton. That's, there you go. That's who's in it. Yes. Um, uh, and she's wonderful. And I remember that movie being just so touching. Oh, and yeah. And just like so it felt so personal. Um, I also made a film called The Boxer with Daniel Day Lewis, yeah. which was good. And did you ever see Brothers with Tobey Maguire and Jake yes. Gyllenhaal? How yeah. is it? Uh, you know, it's a it is a straight up drama. There is <laughs> there is nothing right intense. about that movie. Uh, it's very intense. Um, I uh, from you know I, I saw it one time. I think when it first started. It maybe appeared on like a streaming service and I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And uh, yeah, very intense, you know, a lot of big acting going on in there. Um, And it's definitely not one to watch repeatedly. Um, But I remembered thinking like, you know, it's good. I I had no problems with it. I'll just, I'll just say that. Right. It Uh, doesn't necessarily seem like the most like entertaining movie in the world. Yeah, you know, it's it's post Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire. I'm sure that he had a lot of things that he wanted to prove to people about his, you know, acting chops. And, uh, you know, because that was right around the same time as probably like Gatsby and you know, I, don't, I don't know, just right around that same era yeah, uh, where he was kind of getting yeah. back into it. I think a couple um, of years before that. But yeah, yeah. Post, yeah, the around post that era. Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so uh, I thought that it was, yeah, I thought it was fine. Uh, you know, Jim Sheridan, no slouch. No slouch no at all. No slouch at all. And, you know, to be to be partnered up, in, you know, repeatedly with Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, I mean, this was, you know, as we were saying, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis's, like, big moment, you know, and, and really, you know, came out. His coming out party, if you, uh, there we. <laughs> yeah, he came out very strong. Yeah. And I. Honestly, it's like the performance is is really amazing. It's really, really great. And uh, also, credit where credit is due, Hugh O'Connor, who plays young Christy Brown. Oh. Absolutely mind-blowing. Yes. Absolutely fantastic. You know what? And and deserves deserves, uh, just as much credit if not more than Daniel Day-Lewis. In in a very similar way, and it it really really an only... Uh, I guess in a few respects. So a film that came out in 1996, Shine, um, right. reminded me of not just because, it, um, you know, it, Shine is about um, uh, uh, Jeffrey Helfgott, who was a, uh, or no, sorry, not Jeffrey. It, it was a Jeffrey Helf- it, Jeffrey Rush. It was Jeffrey played, Rush. Yeah. Yeah. David Helfgott. David Helfgott. Okay who um is on the autism spectrum okay um i you know and was kind of discovered to be this like masterful pianist um the actor who played him as a child noah taylor oh okay uh, who who went on to do you know almost famous he was like the manager sure. band manager and that um but but i remember being like jeffrey rush got nominated i was like dude what about noah taylor because he like really nailed it as well so yeah same way and uh oh who's the actor who played uh his father oh i want to mention him because i thought he was fantastic that is a great question let me uh 
I think, it and like I you're think looking it up at the same time that I am too. Might have been his Ray, um, Ray McAnally, McAnally. Yeah. Um, I just I love Ray McAnally. I love the scene when um, it's after Christy is born and he's at the pub and the the. You know, like this one, this one guy is like really, you know, needling him about the fact that his son was born with uh, with cerebral palsy. Um, although and, not and that specifically. Be, and it also should be known uh, this, you know, that part would have taken place in the in the 30s. I think 1932 yes. was when 19, Christy Brown oh, was born, something oh, like that. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean. So the, the understanding of. You know, something like cerebral palsy between then and now, not to say that uh, we've come a long way, but we've certainly come some way. But oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like the the honest like, you know, that's not the term they would have been using. Uh, um, But when and and the insult he throws at him, and I think this is this is one of the aspects I picked up on more now than I did watching it at like, you know, 12 or 13, but, um, the whole like insinuation that like, it's a, that like he's done breeding, like he's done fathering children, um, uh-huh. which, you know, in, a, in this you know, small Irish, uh, Catholic community, of course yeah. is, you know, that's, that's, a, you know, huge value. And right. I mean, clearly in the Brown family, because there's uh, several then a few children who, who don't survive, who did not survive. There, I think that out of like 22 children, 13 survived. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah they say it or He says it uh, at some point. I want to say that in like uh, in Christy Brown's like Wikipedia page. Let me see. Uh Christy Brown was born into a working-class Irish family at the Rotundra Hospital in Dublin in June 1932. His parents were... Uh, he had 22 siblings. Out of these 22, 13 lived while nine died in infancy. Um, yeah, it's... I mean, he survives. You know, they're they're not... Li- you know, they're, they're basic... They are living in poverty. They're not... Yeah. They're not well... Like, you know, they all share beds. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're in this tiny house, but, you know, it's like they, and I'm sure this is, I mean, this movie clocks in under two hours. There is so much more to the story and not having, I have not read my left foot. I have not done research on Christy Brown. I am sure there is much more that we're not seeing because, you know, all in all, what we're seeing is, and they they allude to this at one point, refer to uh, um, the, his mother uh, as like you know the old woman who lived in a shoe, right? And right, right. um, what? Go it, ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say, and Brenda Fricker is so incredible uh, as his mother, uh, somebody who you can tell just wants everything for her children and the fact that one child you know is born with a you know a huge deficit really puts it all out there for him and oh, yeah. and you know goes out of her way to even go against her husband's wishes in order to do things so that you know Christy can have a better way of life like saving up money for a wheelchair for him when they don't even have a pot to piss in. They're eating porridge for every meal. And, uh, yeah, it pisses off the father. But, man, like, just to give him the human decency of not having to be pushed around in a wheelbarrow is, uh, you know, like, bare minimum. (laughs) Yeah, but that's a struggle for them. It's a struggle because they're they're so poor. and, And, you know... He says that he's out of work for like, you know, nine months or something and they're still trying to get by. I mean, I it, well, it's a real show of of tenacity for the whole family. But to understand that Christy still was able to create so much and develop so uh, 
incredibly mm-hmm. despite all of the all of the entire world working against him. Well, it's and it, it felt like it, it's kind of like you have this you have this person who clearly has all of this yeah to express and you know he's not given a body with which he can do that freely but that maybe is what it it, it's it's almost like you know it has to come out in some way and Mm -hmm. it's like all right this is what you're given yeah make it you know this is what you're working with and just how the, how it pours out. Like, and you really see that the evidence in the film is that when, when he writes the word mother yeah, and you know, and I think that comes after the the mother like falls down the stairs. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's after, uh, and it's interesting because it's something that you'd think they would come back to, but it's fine that they don't is that, she doesn't fall down the stairs while carrying him. Yeah. She falls down the stairs after carrying him. And then she's going back downstairs and falls. And then he hears that and like drags himself. And this is, you want to talk about uh, Hugh O'Connor? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about that performance? Like here's the scene for the, for the, you know, amazing. The, the completely nomination. breathtaking yeah oh my god him getting to his mother and just getting and getting to the point where he's just slamming himself against the door right well another help another thing to consider is that you know daniel day lewis plays this character during a time in his life or for the most of the time in his life when he is able to articulate his thoughts through spoken word right and hugh o'connor is uh is playing the character who, who you know he has to be able to show that he's got so much going on internally but just can't get it out and that is what's amazing it comes through so clearly and it, without without words and with such limited movement but his face and oh yeah the, yeah he's so well so well done and again um i mean and you know i, I suppose you know uh, credit also goes to you know cinematography and editing sure um you know again you know first time filmmaker here or first time director sure. of a of, you know feature director i guess you know um anyway he, it's it's such a powerful movie and it is also i've one thing i had forgotten about it was the moments of of levity the moments where they make you like the scene where they're playing soccer and he's yeah block it's uncomfortable to watch him blocking the shots with his head but it's also like well this is what i guess this is what they do well the way that Daniel Day-Lewis portrayed it, I think, is was also really smart. And the expressive, like, the expressive nature of the performance shows you that this isn't a, you know, a moment of weakness for him. It's him right. using his, you know, playing to his own strengths he- and and wanting to be part of the of the the whole crowd. And also, it's like. You know, credit to his brothers for just like he can he can do this just the same way any of us can. He just does it differently. Well, and that's the whole vibe of their family. And that's one of the things that I that's another that's something I like about it in that levity is that idea that just like, okay, you're a brown like, you know, like when when the dad when he uh, is it when he writes mother and and the dad yeah. like he's a i know and it's like okay it shouldn't take that but you it is that feel good there but you also but the well, thing is you it's get the that 30s yeah right and but you also get that throughout from all, from the way he's treated by his mother and his and his siblings um yeah. and the way mostly brothers and one sister um right. um but the way that that the way that he's treated you're right. The way that it's acted 
shows that, okay, this is not him being taken advantage of or being used as some type of, you know, like toy for their amusement. He's a part of the fun. Yeah. They're they're including him in on the Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and yeah, despite the fact that he has so many moments throughout his day of struggle, uh, there are these moments in his day that are filled with joy thanks to, you know, his family's support. Well, my God, the scene in the bar after their their father's funeral. Oh, yeah. They're singing. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, when the guy when the guy's talking shit. Well, that's and, really where you see a lot of his personality coming out where he's just like, I don't give a rat's ass. I I am proud of who I am. I am proud of my family despite our shortcomings. And right. he is just like, screw you for trying to tell me how I can mourn the loss of my father. Well, and I love how Christy is... Uh, is the one who's like, you know, tell her because they're all, you know, all the brothers are like, all right, we're going to fight this guy. Yeah. And Chris is like, no. And he like, you know, wheels over to to him, to uh, to this guy and, and you know, says this whole thing to him. And I forget what the guy says in return. But then when Christy just fucking kicks the glass yeah. <laughs> out of his hand. And well, he says to him, um, like. I, I don't fight cripples or something like right. that. Right, um, right. Yeah, and he's just like, screw you. I'm going to kick the glass of beer out of your hand and right into your face because right. his left foot works pretty damn well. Yeah, I know. It does. It, it is one of those where it's like, oh, man, okay, all right. You get that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just kind of uh, talking a little bit more about the production and about Jim Sheridan um, touching a little bit on, you know, portrayal of uh, people in the disabled community in, in film. It's uh, always a big debate. You know, I feel like lately, you know, the, the message just gets louder and louder of like, you know, people who are in marginalized communities need to be portrayed by people who are in those marginalized communities in, in pop culture and media. And, uh, you know, this is a, a movie from, was it 89? Yeah. Yeah. And, the, you know, Jim Sheridan, you know, kind of looked back at it and thought like, you know, at the time I, you know, don't think I would have done anything differently. And he's like, but, you know, now knowing, understanding what we now like understand a whole lot better, you know, and that's because of advocacy groups. It's because of people, you know with louder voices, uh, mm-hmm. you know, advocating. And he said that if he was to do it now, he would have done it a lot differently. And, uh, and that's the right message. It's just like, yes. yeah, you know, you know, f- there are a lot of directors who would have just been like, no, it should just go for the best person for the job. And it's like, no, 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 you that was the to, right, like, if the you're right telling thing to say this, though, is there, is, is there any controversy over, like there's there's no controversy that i've seen that's like explicit controversy because at the time it wasn't as you know uh understood to be an issue but looking back on it in retrospect a lot of people are like i and this is just to kind of say what i have seen of that people have written about it is just like you know, it's maybe not the favorite movie for people who are in disabled communities uh, for that for that reason. But it's not to say, like, you know, that it's, I don't know, at, at major fault or anything. I, I wonder if the fact that Daniel Day-Lewis method acted and, like, stayed in, ca- in character well, the entire time. That, that's another thing that I wanted to talk about. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second, but... Um, yeah, I think that it's just like I. Uh, it would have been better had it been somebody with cerebral palsy, right? I, uh, but that kind of just goes into like you know at the time, p- 
people weren't thinking that way about, you know, wanting to include, you know, different voices. Uh, not that Daniel Day-Lewis was like a name the way that he is now, but it was certainly somebody who, you know, they just, it wasn't part of the the casting process to kind of go that route. No, now, it, now it would be, hopefully. But I... I I have to if I can mm-hmm. if I can interject and I want to phrase this I'm not saying this to like jokingly I'm saying it's kind of like and and right Daniel Day Lewis did not necessarily this was the film that established sure, that yeah. reputation but it's kind of like I think of other roles played by that were cast non representative non-representatively um like sean penn in i am sam comes to mind yeah um you know i think of and it's like if you're if you're not going to have somebody from that community playing the part in this especially in this circumstance daniel date could you do better (laughs) hard to say it's hard to say but you know jim sheridan himself said if he was to do it again he would do it right you know these days with somebody that would properly represent that particular community and that is because absolutely even like you know that is yeah absolutely and by the way speaking of hindsight uh, i was just looking on the the my left foot page here um and there's a note uh here about the Hollywood Reporter in 2015 polled hundreds of Academy members and asked mm-hmm. them to re-vote on yep. controversial decisions. And it went and in this one they gave the 1990 Oscar for Best Picture to my left foot instead of driving Miss Daisy. Right. Yeah. So. I saw that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so uh going back to another thing that you were saying about Daniel Day-Lewis's method acting. This is the the first time that Daniel Day-Lewis like implemented uh, method acting in his performance, and uh, of course, we all know it is a great performance. Perhaps it is thanks to method acting. Maybe not. Method acting has been coming up a lot lately um, oh, in the media with Brian like Cox. Succession and Brian Cox kind of. Uh, you know, shitting on Jeremy Strong's method acting, and he's like, "Just act," like, you know. And well, that, uh, that's that echoes. That's I think we talked about it on the marathon. Did we do a marathon? Marathon man. Um, uh, when Lawrence Olivier with like Dustin Hoffman stayed up for like three days oh, straight. Yeah. So and and Olivier was just like, "Why don't you try acting?" Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And I. Uh, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, let's just say his method acting didn't result in him making a lot of friends on set uh, because, you know, he demanded that he be pushed around in a wheelchair and that people feed him and treat him as if they as if he were Christy Brown and who, who could be difficult. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, of course, you know, continued on this practice. There's stories about him, um, you know, on the set of Lincoln, you know, staying in character as Abe Lincoln. I still think that, I think that he like still texted people and stuff like that, but he was like as Abraham Lincoln. But he was texting Ulysses S. Grant. Well, he was texting Sally Field, but as Abraham (laughs) Lincoln. It's like, I loved you and Mrs. Doubtfire. And she texted him back as Celeste Talbert. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, uh, I. Oh my God! Yeah, I'd watch that. I would just watch <laughs> a movie of the two of them texting each other, Lincoln and Celeste. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Soap Dish is necessarily the you know the the movie that she would tap into for uh, you know her her character work, but who knows? I, it I don't know. would be amazing if she it did. would be amazing yeah but- so anyway um back to so anyway uh back to the, your, your question by the way of uh bi- is it pronounced biopics or biopics i pronounce it biopic because it is a biographical picture right okay that's what i that's where i lean 
So we have not done this is our first like kind like straight up traditional like true biopic. Biopic, right. Because we did quiz show. We did like we did things quiz that show, tell true stories, but right. not they do not tell the story of it a It doesn't chronicle life. somebody's life, exactly. Right. Right. Um so right, this is our true and I was Is Quiz was, Show the only other one that's, you know, based um, on real events or no, well, I mean, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Right. Uh, but that's, um, there's a lot of, like, allegedly's involved with that one. Oh, hold on. There was there was another one as, oh, like, Inherit the Wind, The oh, True yeah. Story. <laughs> I was like, when did we do that? And I, then it just came back to me. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, my God. No, yeah, we that, I, oh, I had fun talking about Inherit the Wind. Uh, Amadeus. Amadeus, like, yeah. Amadeus a, is a a take on a biopic, I would say. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a big stretch there. So, right, this is the this is really the first traditional biopic we've done. Um uh Yeah, and I was trying to think of like the the great biopics, it's definitely not the first one we've talked about doing because you know, like one of I one of my favorite movies, uh, a period, not just biopics, is La Bamba. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I was also thinking of like because I feel like there's been a resurgence of that genre, and so first you kind of had like the mid aughts like ray walk the yeah. line and that, well that definitely walk hard <laughs> right well i mean a lot of all of those combined spawned walk hard you know right uh yeah there the the musical biopic is definitely a big one i mean there was get on up um right well, there, which was the, around well, the same the, time no, as well there's walk the hard. chadwick boseman double feature of get on up and 42 42 so right. yeah but you've got yeah respect i want to dance with somebody more 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 recently um yeah. less traditional in the genre would be something like love and mercy love and mercy is like a different take on a biopic right right yeah. it's right it's a less traditional i i would still call it because it it does it kind of bridges yeah two parts of, of his life, but it just doesn't, you know, it's not chronological and it's not necessarily set up in a, it's, you know, the way that it's presented is just a it, different way of doing a biopic. No, and it's, and it's yeah. very, I, I highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen We've it. We've gone on record about love and mercy a bunch oh, of times. absolutely. But I like no need to, to hold back from it now. Um, but yeah, like movies like um a what's love got to do with it. Yeah. Um in in the 90s, but I was thinking of more of like 21st century ones and couldn't you know it's kind of it's what was the last really like high profile biopic like Oscar biopic. Um oh, uh Elvis. Link Oh yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Right. I forgot. Well, it's, you mean like it, the one that just happened? Uh, maybe traditional biopic because that one sure, is sure. It's all Boslermany. Baslermany. Sorry. Uh, it is. It, but yeah. there's also like Bohemian Rhapsody, which I would argue is also you know Freddie Mercury biopic. It you know doesn't go from his childhood, but it goes from, you know, his youth up through right. the end. Oh, oh the, um, almost the end. They'll, the Elton John one. I like, yeah. A lot more. Rocket man. Uh, Rocket man. That's a lot of fun. I thought that one was great. And that, yeah. that was, a, that was, I thought more of the traditional biopic. Well, it was, but also it was a fun well, musical because it, uh, the way that it used the music, and in more of like music video style, well, telling it was the story to its subject. It was oh, a hundred percent, yes, wildly in a way that Bohemian Rhapsody was not. Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, yeah, we're not talking about that. But just in thinking of this genre, because my left foot, what I what I appreciate about it is is that it's it's tidy, but it also does leave that like you know, okay, well, there's there's more here that we're not seeing. 
Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, we only get a glimpse of his, you know, art career and, uh, you know, we see him like start to write and then all of a sudden he like has a book. Well, which I guess the idea is, you know, read the book, but. Uh, sure. And and also, uh, you know, what we haven't mentioned yet is the book that he's better known for, which is Down All the Days, uh, which is, I, I, I'd i say, immensely popular, I think, more so in uh, in Ireland than it is here. It's definitely um, inspired a lot of other uh, great pop culture uh, from from Irish artists. But that I feel like is his, you know, more of his masterpiece than than my left foot. Um, I was actually wondering if you had read that, but since you hadn't brought it up, I I guess no. Down all the days. Down all the days. Is it also biographical? I believe so. Uh, but yeah, U2 has a song called Down All the Days. The Pogues have a song called uh, Down All the Days, and it's all because of this. Um, yeah, it's an autobiographical novel. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So, and yeah. But one, sorry, one other thing I wanted to mention huge shout out to Fiona Shaw, who plays yep. Eileen, uh, who people would probably remember better from the Harry Potter movies. Uh, yes um and she's uh just really fantastic and yeah you know when i saw her i was like oh my god i you know now you you know you could recognize her in in so many things but i think the harry potter movies really really cemented her into um i think the a more you know modern day world but uh you know she's just been active for oh, such a long time, those, like very, very active. She's one of those people that you just recognize. Yeah. And and it's kind of like, even if you don't know what her name is, you're like, Fiona something. You're like, yeah, I, yeah it's yeah. gotta be. that. She's got like just that. I don't know that that look. I don't know. I the per, the the person I compare it to the the American counterpart to me is like Lynn Thigpen. Uh, okay, <laughs> where it's like I'm not sure what her name is, but if you said it was Lynn Thigpen, I would not be surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's done a lot of voice work and and narration. So uh, if you don't recognize her face, you might recognize her voice. She's also been in, uh, you know, she was in Fleabag. She was in uh, Ammonite. I don't, I don't know if people really saw Ammonite. I liked Ammonite. Um, Killing Eve. She's just been really active. She very recently was in uh, Andor. So the lady acts. Yeah. Just like no. Jim Sheridan. No slouch. Fiona Shaw, she works. She works. Yeah. Deservedly so. And she was great in this. I thought that, you know, you totally understood why Christy would, you know, be so enamored by her. Yeah, and of course. when, you know, he finds out that she's engaged to this other dude, you know, who to I got to give I, I got to give that actor a shout out, Adrian Dunbar, who I recognized him. And, oh, who is that guy? What do I know him from? Like what other like British Miramax film did I mm. see him in in the nineties and uh it was the crying game. Oh uh, okay. uh it was kind of like the head of the little like IRA sect Got that it. uh Stephen Ray is a part of in that film. One of my favorites. You know, haven't seen it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It just hasn't happened. It's not no, for lack that, of interest. It's just it just hasn't happened. Uh, but that's cool. Uh, that's great that he's you know a recognizable person. Um, you know, what year was Crying Game? Ninety ninety three. Ninety three. Yeah. Ninety three. Cool. Oh yeah. So around the time that you saw My Left Foot from a pirated uh, back alley VHS <laughs> tape of somebody who put a, a camera up to uh, HBO when it was uh, recording, uh, might have been around the same time that Crying Game came out. No. So been earlier. 
Okay, fine. So you saw the crying game, and you're just like, I recognize that guy from that pirated copy I <laughs> found. No, I didn't say that woods. I recognized him when I saw the crying game. I recognized <laughs> him. This, I recognized I, him when I. Hey, okay. Hey, we're, I'm I'm goofing, man. Okay. We're talking about a real serious movie. I kind of want to goof a little bit. Under under. And there's only a few things I, that we can goof about, and one of them is this. Fact that you might have seen this in a weird pirated VHS tape. This pirated, well, and you know, the, actually, the interesting uh, connection here is that once upon a time, there was this like I don't back in my acting and auditioning days in New York, I got cast in this like web series, and I forget what it was about, but my character was bootleg Barry. And my segment was where I reviewed like the bootleg DVDs that you'd buy, like in the, you know, less patrolled subway stations. Got it. Um, Or like on on the subway, you know, movies that were in the theater. And yeah, I I think like. I do like Team America or something like that. Um, But it was that era. Yes, it was that it was that era. But that's all I can think about is you're talking about this like bootlegged uh, filmed on a camcorder through someone's window of a TV screen of of a, uh, you know, and we're talking about a tube TV screen. Oh, CRT, uh, you know, not not high end at all. Zenith. like 19 inches maybe at this yeah ooh the, a big screen like w- maybe 25 i don't know um yeah no we're not talking anything impressive the most impress like the most you know like worthy part of that catch would be like the hbo in like intro like Da-na-na, the new movie yep Oh, but I mean, I'm sure if like this was a prestige film, it had the full Saturday night debut with the whole flyover of the Hell whole yeah. town. Amazing. Seriously. I love it. Iconic. Anyway, <laughs> anything else to say about the film itself? I really enjoyed watching it. It is not an easy watch, uh, but I think that it, you know, there's a lot to admire about you know the the fact that this movie exists and celebrating an an artist and writer who is you know looked upon in Irish culture especially as being you know a real triumph i feel like i'm using the word triumph a lot in this one but you know somebody who uh you know really stood out in the Irish arts community and cultural community um mm-hmm. you know it's somebody who i didn't really know about i've heard of down all the days and certainly I heard of the movie my left foot but I didn't know anything about Christy Brown and it was really great to be able to um, experience that education and uh, it's also a movie that I've heard about for such a long time and haven't seen and uh, I I'm I'm the one that pushed for us to watch this movie I <laughs> and it's because you know it's one of those movies where Otherwise, I can't imagine I would have been like, uh, oh, I'm just going to put that on, pop some popcorn. You know, it's one where, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, w- when I'm watching movies for this podcast is when I really watch movies unless I'm like in a movie theater. If I'm watching a movie at home, maybe I'm also like doinking around on my phone too, but not while I was watching this. Um, and I'm really glad for that because I, I really got to appreciate an incredible movie uh and some really amazing performances and uh, i'm i'm grateful for that and just to throw in like a little context that i don't know might be amusing was that the day that we decided we were going to to do this as our as our next episode following airheads uh because that's a natural connection there is <laughs> um we you know, I texted John. I, I was home. Let me be- break it down. Okay. For those of you who don't know, for new listeners or for anybody who's listened to an episode where we haven't talked about this before, Dan and I, Dan especially, are gout guys. It's a genetic <laughs> thing. We've got it. It's a form of arthritis. Deal with it. Some people have gout and it really messes with your foot. 
Oh yeah, it can Go really on, Dan. it can really hurt. But anyway, I was home anyway because my son was uh, home from home from daycare for the day. I think it was I think it was one of those days. Um, I know it was a day I was home and he was napping and I was like, okay, I've got some movie time here. (laughs) And yeah, it was like, okay, what are we, uh, what are we doing? And it was funny because when John said my left foot, he knew that I was having a gout flare up and that like, and if I'm not mistaken, I know that for me, when I've experienced gout symptoms, it's been my left foot. I don't so, know if it's always the left foot or if it's sometimes the right foot, but for me, it's just been the left foot. It is not always the left foot for me, though mm-hmm. it has been ever since I got a cortisone shot in my oh. right foot. And man, and I'm not one, I I will say I don't shy away from, from needles when it comes to yeah. uh, getting shots. Or like I, I, I donated blood the other day, uh, but- you're a hero, by the way. I shout it. We don't all wear capes. Um, like I said, that I don't normally like get all worked up or swear or anything. Oh my yeah. god, the pain of that cortisone shot uh, was maybe the one thing more painful than the actual gout, um, which was incredibly painful. So I have if not I was, had it. If I was to explain the the sensation of a gout flare up and i'm just talking about the way that it feels not the way that it appears from my experience it feels like you wake up one morning and it's just like did i break my foot in the middle of the night that is exactly so the first time and just roll with this tangent here uh the very first time that i had gout that's what i thought it was I thought I broke Same. my foot. Yeah. It feels like someone hit your foot with a sledgehammer. Um, it went at its worst. But no, I thought that I broke my foot. And at the time, I was also, I was, uh, you know, instructing at performing arts camp. And I was assistant teaching per, uh, stage combat. And I was <laughs> like, did I do something? Like, did I hit my foot with something? Did I, like, my my bed at the time was up against the wall it, um and I'm like, did I kick the wall really hard? I'm like, I've done that before, but that time my foot went through it. Uh, uh, it's it's a really intense pain. It is, and it sucks. It, it is sucks. terrible, but that is exactly how I felt. And yeah. so when John suggested my left foot, which is like the foot that I had it in, and like that day it was really bad. And oh, I was on it was on spring break. That's why I was yeah. Home. Um, so anywho, um, I was like, haha, that's funny. Um, and he was like, no, I actually would like to do that movie at some <laughs> point. And for me, when I watch a movie, when I actually have time to, to watch a movie, I'm either like cleaning the kitchen and watching dishes. So it's not usually a movie for the podcast because I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm kind of paying attention. Um, but I was, and he said that, and I, and I was like, wow, I could watch that right now. And when else would I actually want to watch that? And yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time. So I was like, let's do it. And I turned it on right then and there. <laughs> and yeah, yeah it, it's it, it, like, I knew it was a great movie. I was a little just reluctant just because I knew how intense it got, but it does not get to the point like a Lorenzo's oil where I'm like, ah, I, ca- I can't. No, I can't. Lorenzo's oil. I will never watch that again. Ugh, burned in my brain. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Anyhow. Oh, remember when we had a shtick about Lorenzo's oil? <laughs> We did. <laughs> oh, we did, didn't we? All because of that movie, uh, Paul. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, right. I realized that, you know, when we're talking about a biopic, um, you know, the idea of a sequel or, you know, I mean, a, really a remake, I guess you could do like a, you know, 
a different take on a biopic, you know, maybe highlighting different things. But like, you know, it's really it's difficult to kind of uh, to to think about what we would normally think about for a movie that follows a different pattern. Um, but, you know, I really did want to, you know, try and test myself to see, you know, what I could imagine happening with this movie. And I think that it really comes down to, uh, you know, art education. It's, it's, you know, Christy Brown is somebody who I, you know, had it not been for my left foot, I, you know, who knows if I'd ever really know much about him. And so I think that there's a lot of opportunities to, uh, to honor Christy Brown without just making this movie again, because I feel like you make this movie again, you cast somebody with cerebral palsy what, like, why are you doing it? You know, are you doing it because you feel like there's more to tell? Are you doing it because you feel like there wasn't proper representation the first time around in the uh, in the way that Christy Brown's life was? Um, or is it that you want to, um, I don't want to say right or wrong because it's, I don't, it's not strictly a wrong that, you know, they did it with somebody who didn't have cerebral palsy, but uh you know, just to kind of do it again differently. I, and I don't think that there's a, a need for that. I don't think that you gain anything from it. So for me, I think that it's, uh, you know, honoring the the artist, honoring the, you know, film as a companion piece to the, you know, the actual artist himself. Um, perhaps, you know, creating some sort of, uh, I don't know, special advocacy group for specifically for uh, representation in films f uh, about uh, people who have had, you know, dis different disabilities. Uh, but, you know, really using Christy Brown and My Left Foot as, as you know, I don't know, figureheads for it. I, that's the only thing I can think of. I, it's not anything traditional, traditionally that we would typically say, but I don't know. It's just the only thing that really made sense to me. I guess, you know, um, no, that makes sense. Having, you know, you having Christy Brown as a, a representative um, kind of ag against ableism and be like, you know, yeah. when we prejudge people, based on you know what we just what we see or what like this is what we could you know it's like how many people act you know looked at christy brown and saw um a, a brilliant artist in the making um you know you know christy brown is a young child um yeah. You know, how many people would have passed Chris, how many people passed Christy Brown, the adult on the street and thought, oh, that, you know, must be a brilliant artist right there. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, my, and now I, I, to me, I thought about, I thought about theater because mm. I'm like, what's a venue in which you could tell the life story of Christy Brown in a different way and honor and respect, you know, the fact that he was a man with cerebral palsy, um, where chances are you are not going to have an actor with cerebral palsy palsy playing him and yeah. it made me think of now i have not seen the stage adaptation of the novel the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime mm -hmm. but um the uh, main character and narrator of that uh is a boy with autism mm -hmm. and i know he is not played by actors i know he's at least not always played by an actor with autism but that it is written so that you are seeing it more like the 
the inside, the inner mind of Christy Brown. Yeah. That it would be. So I feel like theater is a way where you could, and it wouldn't, I don't know if it would necessarily be, it, I'm not saying like my left foot, the musical. And by the way, I, it occurred, I was like, wait a second, where have they done like, um, they there was something and uh, I looked it up and there there was a musical done in like Scotland called My Left Slash Right Foot. And it was about a theater oh, company mounting a musical. Yeah. And the, the, the one that I was thinking of was a family guy thing. It was like, you know, just yep. a quick. And it was Stewie doing the My Left Foot, the, the musical. And where he does like a tap dance routine with his with his left foot. Uh so the, and I, but I, I was wondering. I was like, I, you could do a stage adaptation of whether it's whether it's my left foot, whether it is, uh, you know, down all the days, whether it is, you know, something about the, the autobiographical, semi autobiographical about Christy Brown. Um, I think theater is the way to do it. I think that way you can also you have like multimedia. So you have ways of showing, uh, you know, kind of like they do in the film where they set up each segment, uh, you know, each segment showing his his, you know, childhood and young adulthood is a flashback as yeah. they're as his, um, you know, person put like chaperone i guess caretaker um yeah yeah, at this event is is going through his book and you know with each it's kind of like each picture brings you to a different segment of the story so i could see i could see how that would be done um uh, like theatrically okay so that's that's what I would do with it. I don't know where I I I don't know that there's anything else I would um I would suggest, you know, as I mean of co- I you know, of course, uh love your suggestion about just kind of making sure that Christy Brown is out there and and remembered yeah. and not just um not just as a great artist with cerebral palsy, but a great artist, period. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I I think that that um I I mean I I I like your idea. I think that uh there's definitely room to do something theatrically. Uh you know, some of the other things that I was thinking um but really hadn't liked where my thought process was necessarily landing me. Um, you know, there's a lot of really great, important work that's being done uh, to help capture different human experiences through virtual reality. And uh, when I say that, I don't mean like, oh, downloading a game on, you know, the quest or whatever, but like, right you know, in-person experiences that, you know, help you kind of put yourself into somebody else's uh, shoes for a bit. And um, so I was kind of going along that I, way too, but it's like, you know, but what, what would that have to do with, with this exactly? Well, it's, and just to let to you know, I, disability. I, and I, it's not, I don't want to say I was wondering if you were going to go there. And I also don't want to say I was considering this well, but that has definitely come up. Um, just because of the, the, the possibilities of such a thing in, um, both just building empathy and also I know from the like educational standpoint, you know, to be able to use virtual reality to understand what it's like, let's say for a student with dyslexia to read a page of text, right? Like that would be invaluable for me. 
It would be in, yeah. I mean, you know, and not every, you know, no two people's dyslexia are exactly the same. Absolutely. Yeah. But just to kind of, you know, to be able to understand or to be able to like, you know, slightly adjust the program based on what they describe, you know, like the possibilities in that, in that realm are, um, potentially so useful and helpful in, understanding um other what others having a getting gaining a better understanding of of what others experience not absolutely and yeah any any way that we can also push ourselves to step outside of our comfort zone is very important yeah um and uh and speaking of somebody who stepped outside of their comfort oh. zone, Dan, you want to talk about uh what we're doing on our next episode of the podcast? Oh my goodness, what a wonderful segue. On our next episode we'll be talking about um uh, a, a filmmaker stepping out of his comfort zone a bit perhaps, <laughs> telling the story of a man who steps out of his comfort zone. That would be Martin Scorsese's After Hours from 1985 starring Griffin Done, uh, Rosanna Arquette, Linda Fiorentino, Catherine O'Hara, Catherine O'Hara, Cheech, Cheech and Chong, uh, Bronson Pinchot, Terry Gar, Terry Gar, Martin uh, Scorsese. For who a am I forgetting? Scorsese himself. Um, like, yeah, it's uh, just such John a- Heard. I believe I said John Hurt. Did you? Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I must have oh. been not listening to you. I mean, I, oh, no, I, John Hurd, because John Hurd is also in, uh, in, in my, um, teacher job. I'm showing the film, The Great Debaters, and John oh, okay. Hurd is in that. So, um, you know, when he pops up in, in After Hours, and I've seen After Hours many times. Hey, you get uh, both McAllister parents in After Hours. Oh, I know, right. What a anyway, we, we will be talking about that uh, and more on the next episode. It's our first Scorsese. and Imagine uh, that. Uh, I'm almost excited. 200 episodes in. We haven't done a Scorsese yet. I I know. I think we we we've come close, but more. I'm sure we'll talk about um, uh, Scorsese more on that episode. Oh yeah, I think we will. I think yeah, we will. I, oh I, uh, yeah, we will. Well, uh, Dan, I have uh, no clever way of bringing us into this with a my left foot, uh, you know, reference. But I wish you a good journey. Good journey.